Welcome to the Maritime Executives Podcast Series, In the Know. I'm Tony Munoz, Editor-in-Chief. Our Executive Corner Podcast will provide conversations with top executives concerning events and issues that are shaping our industry today. We will also bring you up to speed with the latest news and editorials covered by the Maritime Executive. Welcome to the Maritime Executive Magazine Podcast Series, In the Know. I'm Paul Benecki. In this episode, Maritime Executive Editor-in-Chief Tony Munoz spoke with Joseph Farrell III, Director of Business Development at Resolve Marine, about his company's emergency relief nonprofit, Mission Resolve. The organization helped to bring relief supplies and a portable desalination plant to the Bahamas after Hurricane Dorian. For the details, listen in on their conversation. We're here to talk about Hurricane Dorian and the destruction to the Bahamas and the Abacos. But let's start with a little background about Mission Resolve and Resolve Marine. Okay, sure thing. So, um, yeah, my, my dad, my father started it about 36 years ago, and um, it was pretty much a small domestic sort of tug operation that him and my mom run, ran actually out of our house. I remember having a secretary show up at our house, and, and the, the office was there. So, you know, you can imagine from where we are today, um, there's been a heck of a transition. My my. Most of the work, you know, for the first probably 10, uh, maybe 15 years was actually in the Caribbean, in the Bahamas. So, you know, Resolve was very familiar with, with working in that region before, during, and after hurricane season. Um, we had experienced hurricanes ourselves. We had been hit um, ourselves, you know, living in South Florida. And um, over that time, I think, you know, there were things that that uh, my dad had, had seen that you know, they're easy sort of quick wins that you could give um, in relief after these hurricanes hit that not everybody was sort of seeing because he was always, he was usually there, you know, as they hit mm-hmm. or right after, a lot of times because of work or a lot of times because we were already working there and we had to go back and finish a project. So, you know, having having done that for, for a long period now, you know, 30 something years now, um, and Resolve is always sort of is, is, we're used to going to a, third world country or a region where there's not a lot of resources with our own resources. So we've always sort of been equipped to show up and, you know, run our own operation without outside help, um, which is great in these, these kind of conditions. So, you know, I think my dad's always seen that we could be of, of a, of a valuable asset to the local community and governments after, an, um, after a disaster like this. And, you know, include, that includes the earthquake in Haiti. Um, where we also responded and, and that's sort of you know one of the things a key value for resolve is our rapid response our ability to to not need outside help um, and our tolerance for risk and going in even before airports are opened up and before ports are opened up because um, that's just our core business so that's sort of like in a nutshell I think resolves our, our progression into what we're now sort of um, getting into which is this you know mission resolve which is actually a purpose-built entity right. that is focused only on disaster relief. Whereas before it's been sort of a nice, you know, nice to have, Hey, in addition to finishing a project, we'll, we'll throw some containers, you know, for relief effort. So uh, when we, when we talk about your dad, we're talking about Joseph Farrell Jr. Jr. And you're, and you're (laughs) Joseph Farrell (laughs) the third for him and he gets calls from me all the time. Yeah, Yeah. no doubt about it. It must. So tell us about mission resolve, uh, the foundation and, uh, first, what was its efforts after Dorian in conjunction 
with Resolve Marine. Resolve Marine was there in Freeport. But I want to get a little bit of feedback about how Mission Resolve stepped in and helped people as well. Yeah, so Mission Resolve was was in the works um, a year plus before the hurricane, you know. Um, And and again, the real function of that entity is pure um, just help in, in, in situations and it's dabbled with, you know, plastic cleanups and, and really that the core mission value of the company is making the world's ocean safer and better and, and cleaner. And, and that was sort of something that had been going on. And then, um, you know, when the hurricane hit, we said, look, we have assets, we have capability, let's get there um, and actually start funneling what was initially a bunch of, you know, donations and resources. And we said, look, we know where they need to be we think we know where to best deploy them based on mm-hmm. our experiences. So let's try that. We set up a supply chain. So, um, but, but backing up, so mission resolve is really a pure sort of, it's just the nonprofit any entity of this kind of, you know, effort. Right. So it's a nonprofit. So hurricane Dorian was an incredibly devastating event. We know Resolve Marine had a operation in Freeport. Please describe the immediate efforts and what was the first concerns of your team? Right, so we, we actually had guys that stayed there. Um, they elected to stay there, I think it was before it was a Cat 5, and they, they were on our, our barge there um, in Freeport during that time. So obviously our, our immediate concern was the safety of our crews we had evacuated um, a lot of our other guys. These were these guys had volunteered to stay, and I think, you know, it's they're in a in a very large thousand ton metal box. They're relatively safe um, compared to some of the, you know, structures you've seen. Um, anyway, so the immediate concern was making sure they were good because we lost mm-hmm. communications, right? And when the, the hurricane parked over Freeport, that was like yeah. not expected. I mean, obviously, right. so it's Cat Five. It was supposed to be Cat Three, and now it's sitting there for two days. Um, and um, and right after, you know, the, the I guess the advantage, if you could call it that, was that we had people there that could immediately survey and say, this is what's, let's, you know, separating the fact from fiction. This is what's needed mm-hmm. um, just for our own side, let alone what were, you know, how bad it really was. And, you know, the immediate reports were, you know, devastation, right? Just everything that was not steel, not a steel box was pretty much torn open. Um, so... You know, there were two, two pro- actually, and during that entire time, we had teams here in the office, you know, for that three-day period, sort of anticipating what was going to happen. Right. You know, anticipating um, the harbor being toasted, like, wrecked and, and bit to the point where you couldn't get larger vessels in and uh, anticipating, you know, you're not going to have water, electricity, infrastructure. So that was sort of our initial uh, efforts was lining up all of the, that pipeline to get supplies in. And on both fronts, on both our, to continue the operation we were doing, which was working on the dry dock that had sunk, in addition to starting this sort of relief effort. Um, And in that time, we realized, you know, water, that's going to be the biggest issue. And one of our guys, I think it was Aaron, or I think it was Aaron, he he said, hey, you know, last time, well, not last time, but when they got a big hurricane, um, you know, a decade ago, or no, two decades ago, it tainted the water supply, the aquifer, um, because when the table rises and, you know, salinity, it's, it's... doesn't separate, right? Right. It creates right. salt water. So um, basically, we, we sort of identified well, they're going to probably have a water issue. So that was when we sourced the RO systems, the reverse osmosis, which we've done before. And we said, well, let's let's at least throw some of these on board. No one's asking for it, but we just... You know it's that. going to yeah. be it, it, yeah. required. Yep. So you, your crew's on the ground, yep. and, and they're reporting back to you complete devastation. Yeah, correct. So as... 
Resolve Marine moves forward and starts moving assets back into the hurricane zone, the de devastation zone, what do you see? Well, um, from, a, from a strategic standpoint, you see the lack of a pipeline or a supply chain to get things there. I mean, quite mm -hmm. honestly, you know, you look, and part of it is just the unknown. The, the port, which actually turned out to be clear, we needed to survey it mm -hmm. to, to ensure that. And we've done that before as well. And that, that was like, you know, step one, survey the port, to just make sure that we can even get assets into the, into the port. Um, you know, the, super, the, the housing and the, you know, all that was, it's wiped out. But, you know, the immediate concern is, okay, are there the people who actually need the water, which mm -hmm. are the hospitals? Um, and that was initially, um, that was the first use of the water, actually, was setting up the supply chain. So putting the RO system in place at the water plant, actually, so taking from okay. the tainted water and then um, scrapping all of the minerals, everything out of it, so you have pure water. And then getting trucks with big bladders on them okay. that we could fill up wow. from, you know, at the water plant and then driving to the local hospitals and then actually putting another bladder there and pumping. So it's sort of just having trucks going back and forth carrying um, like 7,000, 5,000 gallons per day of water. So obviously the first thing you had to do is you had to clear out debris yeah, in order to get that pipeline of yep. uh, water is going to the hospitals and yeah. other key points on yes. the island. And using whatever was available. I mean, they, I think they, they commandeered a truck and they got a, you know, a flatbed and they just went with it. So, gotcha. Um, and then from that, it was, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of requests and donations on both sides. So it was demand and also sort of supply, but it wasn't totally synced up. And that was where we started to, to say, well, let's actually get um, information from the, from the local um, authorities on what they need and not just, just start throwing donated products over there, right? Because you can get, you know, a lot of the kids and a lot of the this families left, but they didn't, so they didn't need a lot of diapers. They need a lot of you know, water and they need food and sustainable things for working crews to start cleaning up. And that was sort of initially, I think it was, it was taking the information and trying to streamline it so that when energy was put into donating things, moving things across, it wasn't wasted. You know, the last thing you want to do is ship an entire container and have it not used. Right, correct. It's expensive and it's time consuming and people, there's only so many people that, to move that stuff. So. And, and as a salvage company, you're used to coming in and seeing, you know, things that are devastated, whether it's you know, a ship, and you've been on many other hurricane missions as well. Yeah. What was very unique about this particular one to um, you? I think they, the, the sheer number, you know, Puerto Rico, as an analogy, and Puerto Rico did get slammed, we all know that, um, but they had a bit more infrastructure and they had more support. Mm -hmm. And in this case, I think it was really a lot of people needed to just get out of there because the, the place that wasn't going to be the resources to keep the people that weren't contributing to the effort there immediately. Right. And so that's sort of different, right? Usually there's a, it's a larger country. Usually, you know, even Haiti, there's a lot, you know, there's, a, there's more, there's more people, there's more population, there's more resources available. And in this case, it was like, no, the resources are wiped out. And that was a population that can't really contribute to the relief effort, but needs to, to pack up. And we actually, we, we moved a couple, um, I'll get the numbers right here. Well, they, so the Bahama Paradise Cruise Lines, they did the, the first mission, brought 1,400 evacuees back from uh, Freeport to West Palm and, uh, and actually brought 500 responders to Freeport to help. Okay. And there were medics, uh, firefighters, EMTs, doctors, NGOs. Um, and then there was a third, third trip, the recent one, which I think when we had talked had to happen that week, was the, the Miami Dolphins actually went over there and donated right. 300 generators and um, 
sort of helped with that effort as well. And it stirred up some publicity to help get people to, you know, be aware that there's still, you know, a need. That's why we're here. Yeah, right. Just just to remind people that there's devastation still on those islands. Yeah, correct. People, they're inhabitable. Yeah. Um, and, And that organizations like yours are still there. Yeah. What is the Bahamian Relief Consortium and how did it support the overall mission? So that was, uh, in the initial stages, it was an effort, I think, to put together um, sort of what we're doing here. And mm-hmm. honestly, we, we didn't work with them much at all. It, it okay. Became, we, we sort of, I think we all got on the same page in understanding there was a need to streamline the efforts as okay. far as all the supplies, but we, we actually didn't interact. Uh, so who was leading the way? USAID, the U.S. Coast Guard, uh, Resolve Marine was there yeah, in, in assistance? So, so the Bahamas had, so initially the very immediate steps, so I think they were sort of stunned. That when I say they, I mean, the, you know, NEMA, which is the Bahamian version of FEMA. Mm-hmm. Um, they were sort of on their back foot. So the U.S. Coast Guard came in and did a lot of the immediate um, relief rescue efforts, right? Um, obviously we were there to, to help some of the supply chain stuff that, that took, you know, a couple days to set up, but now, you know, NEMA is actually taking over that role as they should. And that's, that's really leading the response and coordinating what needs to go where. Um, but it was, I think it was a joint effort we had, we had a large part of it. I mean, for us, it was more about putting the supply chain and getting streamlining, working with C-Core working with Siemens and getting, you know, the, the, everything set up. So that um, when people said, hey, I want to donate some money or donate some clothes or something, we said, okay, let's... I understand there was really a big corporate uh, effort from South Florida to respond and provide goods and everything. Um, I also understand that, uh, that there's a lot of goods and supplies still in the warehouses. Is that correct? Um, on which side? Sorry, uh, on, on, on the on the Bahamian side. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There. So the the emergency phase is is really dialed back. Okay. Um, and I say that. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> so there's always something that that comes up here, but in, in generally the the new sort of there's everyone switching into. Um, Long term, just like what are we going to do here? Infrastructure, sustainability, lessons learned. I mean, that's 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 going to that's what is happening now. So supplies, I think there's a surplus of some supplies. Now, don't get me wrong. If you go to our site, I think there's requests for certain things still. Okay. But um, generally speaking, yeah, it's not like we need to send food or people are going to starve right now at the moment. It's more about okay, there's there's just devastation and no, nobody's a place to live. So how do we rebuild these homes? You know, do we do what we did before? Um, or do we start to say, okay, maybe perhaps there's a better way to make sure these things don't don't get get um, blown away again, destroyed right? again? Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, including floodplain area construction. I mean, you know, if you're there's certain there's certain rules that 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 would um, benefit. I think even just where they place these things. But so, um, in your view, the infrastructure today um, is 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 this a long road for the Bahamians and Abaco to rebuild? I mean, is it? The lessons learned is obviously we need to build a better structure and we need to have these flood zones and places like that. But what do you see is the long term um, recovery of this um, devastated island of Abaco and the Grand Bahamas? If I was going to be optimistic, um, then I would say that there's there's, you know, lessons learned and and um, and they and there's a. 
you know, in the U.S. or in, in South Florida, there's code, right? And you, in order mm -hmm. to build a house today, you cannot get away with, you know, thin glass jealousy windows anymore and you have to have impact mm -hmm. and all that. But that comes at a cost, right? And um, I think in reality, it's going to be a balance between, okay, you know, what, what are people going to be able to afford? What's the government going to be able to afford? They're not notoriously, you know, cash, cash rich. And, and I think you've even seen in Florida and by Panama City, there was... There were a lot of people, retirees, who had said, listen, right. like, I can't build my ha rebuild my house up to code. Right. And people are just they're leaving town because right. the entire town was built in the 50s or 60s. And I think that may be an analogy that we see here where there, there's a balance. Like, if you want it, you know, the ideal house is, you know, 10 feet off the ground on concrete piles and impact with windows. But um, I don't know if that, that kind of capital is there to do that. I mean, I'm just being blunt. No, no. <laughs> I, 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 and that's what people need to hear. Let me ask you, as, as, as the U.S. Coast Guard and USAID and, 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 and Resolve Marine and Corps Marine and all these organizations came over, was the Bahamian government, they, you said their NEMA was really struggling and that needed a lot of assistance. Well, I think it was, it was the sheer, you know, the, the, mat, the magnitude of the impact. I, I wouldn't say that they were not ready to respond, but it was like they were wiped out. I mean, if you took, mm -hmm. if you took the U.S. and shrunk it to that, I think we'd have the same issue. Mm -hmm. um, so were they ready um, for a Cat 5 to sit there for two days? No, but who would be? You yes, know? Yeah. And, and it, to be fair and mm -hmm. uh, in honesty, the second that people showed up with resources, they did triage appropriately. Mm -hmm. It wasn't yes. as if it wasn't as if there was friction or reluctance. To, it was like here, here's the help, and they, there was no. They said, let's go with it. You right. Know, so. so they they welcomed all of this oh, with yeah. open arms yeah, yeah, and correct. said, yeah. "Here's our country. Help yeah. our people." And 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 not and they're not. I mean, to take them off the victim pedestal, they actually are taking over the. They have taken over the response. Okay. But again, they just you know wipe them. They were wiped clean. Right. You know, even their own families and well being for their own personal safety. That that was their immediate concern because that's right. You know, it's they, easy for FEMA to work out of you know. Ohio, right, and conduct a right. response in Florida because they, you know, this is like they just got nailed. So, um. so uh, Mission Resolve uh, is um, a nonprofit corporation, and Resolve Marine uh, is is not. Who's paying the, the company's bills, and for that matter, uh, the many companies that are working in the Bahamas today? So for, for Mission Resolve, um, you know, actually Resolve Marine is the big parent sponsor of Mission Resolve. Um, there, others have contributed, but um, I think it, because it's sort of a startup, we've seen it as let's get this going. So Resolve put a, a lot of capital down uh, initially, but um, there, a lot of other smaller donations have started to add up and we're actually seeing, you know, traction, which is fantastic because it's just Standing. like guys. So that's so that's good, and I think a lot of the you know other companies did it on their dime, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Secor and these other guys. It wasn't um, uh, any, nobody needed to get recouped on a lot of these things. Right. So you know, um, Resolve, of course, is you know we we do salvage and emergency response and um, marine all sorts of everything offshore ops uh, worldwide, and that is funded by various entities, you know, insurance insurance companies, governments, um, ship owners. So. And you've gone into some of the most desolate places of the world to salvage vessels. Correct. Um, uh, and, and you were telling me about, uh, I think it was in the Micronesia Islands, you had that... Guadalcanal. Guadalcanal. Yeah, that was a couple months ago. Uh -huh. I was down there with, uh, with um, 
it was like that was 40 40 resolve personnel and then an additional 100 you know local uh, people that we had helped hired to help us um and that was i mean that's you know talking about you know, malaria you know a couple guys got malaria mm -hmm. some guys got bit with these weird spiders that put holes in their body and oh. it's a pretty you know no you know talking like living out in the jungle no ac you're in a wood hut kind of thing and right. i can't complain i was only down there for like a month but some of the guys were out for four months right wow. and they were just it was brutal, brutal uh, conditions. So, um, for uh, Resolve Marine, what are your challenges as an organization? As Resolve Marine? As Re Resolve Marine. So, we, our, our challenge, I think we've grown to a level where we're um, recognized as a world a leader in these, in these operations. And one of our honest challenges is trying to figure out um, how to grow with a limited a capable workforce mm -hmm. and so what I mean is that the guys who are out there guys and women of course um, are by the time they're out there in the field doing doing this they've probably spent four to five years in the industry learning from being a dive you know a diver uh, or a naval architect and it takes about that long um, to really be confident to deploy somebody and say here you go the, um, the workforce is small right there's not International salvage is not something anybody goes to college for, and if you ask right. most of the people, they they couldn't they just stumbled into it. Mm -hmm. So um, our our biggest challenge is honestly is people keep keep, keep uh, keeping and growing our pool of talent. Uh, we have fantastic operators, and honestly, um, I I am honest <laughs> when I say we have the best people in the world as far as being able to to do a, an operation that we, uh, wreck removal, emergency response, you know, jump on board a burning ship kind of thing. Mm -hmm. We have the best people. Um, I just don't know where else any other ones are. And, and uh, as, um, as uh, Mission Resolve uh, takes on more responsibility, how do you see that organization growing? This was their first response. Uh, will they step in and follow behind uh, Resolve Marine into the, these type of situations? Is yeah. that the commitment of... Um... Yeah, I think, well, it's actually, for you know, it, it clarifies things from mm -hmm. the Resolve Marine Group standpoint, because mm -hmm. before it was, you know, all right, let's help out a little bit, but then we also have a job to do kind of thing, right? So our guys would cross, you know, use and the resources. Now it's, there's a clear line of, okay, this actually, this is for, um, you know, disaster relief. And, and this will not be the last time we go to a country a day after a hurricane hits, right? This is what we do. So... The odds are it lets us focus on getting the job done and tackling the actual challenges of, of the commercial work. In addition, you know, sort of helping at the same time, if we have an empty barge, stick a bunch of containers on it, put the RO machines, and gotcha. even help our guys um, on, the, on the commercial side set up some of this stuff. Because a lot of it, once you get it set up, you can train somebody how to use it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, right now we, we just delivered six forklifts this week. They're actually showing up this week. Um, because we realize you have all this aid being donated and there's no forklifts. I mean, you can't move it around, right? So we literally bought six forklifts, put them on a boat, and now we're training the guys there so we don't have to use our guys to, to you know, use them to, to move all the uh, equipment and everything around. It's a so. pretty incredible story how you got those forklifts. Oh, and right. yeah. please tell us about that. Yeah, so um, we, had a, we had an employee with us uh, who worked for, geez, he must have worked... Um, I don't want to say the number of years, the number of years, Mark, and he passed away, and um, and he actually left his his um, his uh, life insurance uh, to to my dad and said, "Here you go, thanks for helping." Plus his four hundred one k. Yeah, so so um, right. yeah, so basically, um, 
you know, that was sort of my dad. Was, you know, he's I don't know what to do with this. Of course, it was just something that, and, and I think it was in thanks for helping him through his times. You know, because he right. had, he had struggled. So um, anyway, my you know my dad said, well here, you know, there's there's there was a need for these forklifts because um, you know again they had the issue of getting everything sort of bottlenecked out of the right. pipeline. And my dad said, well let's let's use it for forklifts. So. And that's what we needed <laughs> so, for. Yeah, that's that's, got, that's so, outstanding. Yeah, so Mark Mark Bush, his name is on each of the forklifts. Good. Um, and there's ten pallet jacks as well. And they're, they're right now we're training um, the, some of the locals and how to use them. And just uh, you know, we're actually gonna, they, we still own them. We're gonna keep giving them as long as they need them. Right. And then that'll be sort of our disaster relief kind of mobile forklift division. Right. Have, uh, you know, Mark them. Bush. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yep. Um, so what's a typical day like? Uh, here at Resolve Marine? A different, uh, you know, every day's, um, yeah, last week I was in Boston for a, um, a wind energy association uh, conference. This week I'm going to Washington DC to meet up for some political um, discussions. And, uh, you know, next week I'll get, get back to work. And it's, it's varied, I, I run sort of, um, I run most of the non-core business units, okay. and what I mean by that is, and my background is in the core business, right? Mm-hmm. I did eight years of rock removal emergency response, and um, sort of the challenge I have is trying to tie non-core units to the core, and um, that's that's actually what we're doing now. I was just okay. over this morning with a uh, meeting with uh, some of the fire departments. We're putting together a training exercise at the Maritime Academy, and that is gonna be sort of a, uses our bridge simulator, and it uses the fire simulator, and it uses our damage control simulator. And the idea is that we have sort of a, a combination of, in an actual emergency, the kind of events that'll occur, such as you, your ship's on fire, you're dealing with the captain, and probably a, you know, a very stressed out crew, and then you start sinking the ship because you're adding water to it, right? So we're trying to create a salvage fire response simulation, and then actually use that curriculum and start putting our own people through that. To develop our own guys, excellent. Because it's a it's a sort of a mind stressful, you know, to, right. to overload somebody and see how they react, right? right. So that's, of course. So that was this morning, right? And then, um, you know, we have right now. I'm coordinating a barge from the Middle East. We're bringing one of our Jones Act vessels back here through our fleet division, which I'm trying to sort of streamline there too. Okay. Um, and then we have Alaska running Alaska shipyard mm-hmm. and uh, Gibraltar towing division. Sort of oversee that. So, so you're busy. Very busy. Yeah. You're very yeah, busy on the road. Switching gears a lot. So I'm trying right. to. I'm always trying to to see. Um, uh, one thing, find talent, right? I'm always trying to find talent to run these these units and make sure that uh, everybody has what they need from right. from the main core and say, you know, okay, if there's things that were that can make things better aside from cash, um, you know, people and and, uh, and all that. So anyway, I'm very busy. Yeah. So um, are there donations for uh, the Bahamians still coming in? Uh, yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah, good. Yeah. Well, I good. mean, we always could use more. I think funding is the biggest challenge. I, I went down and I asked, so what do you guys? You know what is your biggest challenge? Um, and like, well, funding. And I sort of laughed, and then I said, No, really. You know, it's 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 easy to donate immediately after, mm-hmm. and it's a lot. You know, when things that, you don't hear about, like you said. I mean, I actually Googled it the other day. I said, What's what's the latest? And the last thing I saw was September twenty eighth or something. I know. Then I'm in Google News, and I was like, Well, something's happened between now and there. The the real challenge is ahead. You know, it's easy to throw sort of um, relief effort and, and the emergency, you know, getting people evacuated, that's all simple. The challenge for the Bahamas is going to be in the infrastructure development. And um, I think that, uh, you know, 
donating the mission resolves that that will help to some extent. I think mm -hmm. there's there needs to be more um, interaction too with people um, actually helping in the form of going over there and, and you know Habitat for Humanity and these kind of organizations. Which Absolutely, we, we started to actually try and engage and say, all right, let's talk about the long run relief, right. not just this. So um, I think that's that's probably the biggest takeaway here is that the. the the emergency phase is done, but this is the tough part. You this, know, as a, what's up this is the long haul. This yeah. is a rebuilding and rebuilding yeah. lives and, uh, and as we know infrastructure from, as well. Yeah. From, um, you know, even Puerto Rico is taking still time to recover. And they have the, the power, you know, they have the United States, right? They're part of the uh, U.S., right? So uh, even with that kind of resource and um, uh, behind them, it's taking some time. So this is going to be a long haul as well. But Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks a lot. All Thank right. Thank you for listening to In the Know, the Maritime Executive Magazine podcast. We hope you'll join us again for our next exciting discussion on maritime technology, business, and policy. In the meantime, please visit us online at www.maritime-executive.com for the latest news and views from around the industry.